Okay, uh, we're going to be finishing up First John in the next two weeks. So it's been an interesting study. Uh, the next two weeks we're going to tackle some really tough stuff. Uh, so you're going to have to kind of hang with me and, and bear with me a little bit. Uh, next week actually we get to deal with the unpardonable sin. So uh, and this week we're going to deal with uh, all kinds of things uh, that, uh, that, that are, they'll stretch us a little bit, but that's okay. Uh, John has written this book so that we can know that we have eternal life, so that that can be a surety with us, not a question. Uh, the entire book is written where he talks about faith and talks about fellowship and love and truth and obedience. And uh, John writes it so that a person can know for sure that they have a faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And that's what you're going to see over and over and over again. Uh, let's remember a couple of things uh, that will help us today. When John was originally found as a disciple, when Jesus goes, it, it's very significant. When you look at the disciples as Jesus picks them, it's very important to note what they're doing when Jesus picks them. And case in point is John. When Jesus finds John, John is mending nets. He's fixing nets. Now that was a reactive thing and it was a proactive thing. You fix nets because they were broken. And the reason you fixed them was so that you could catch more fish. So there's a reaction to, what he's, to, to an issue as well as a proactive thing to keep the issue from going farther. When John writes this book, he's doing the same thing. He's reacting to some of the issues of the day. But he's also being proactive in some things that are going to help future generations of Christians down the line. And so that's one of the things that you see. One of the things that he addresses is an issue of Gnosticism. Gnosticism was a belief that there is a spiritual world and there is a material world, and we would agree. But where I disagree with Gnosticism is Gnosticism said those two worlds never interacted. So a Gnostic did not believe that Jesus came in the flesh and died for our sins because the world of heaven and the world of earth don't connect. And so some Gnostics became this, these uh, high-end, super-spiritual people that had nothing to do with anybody. Other Gnostics said, you know what, since the two worlds aren't connected, I can love God and I can do whatever I want here on earth. And John writes over and over again, no, 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 they're very connected. If you say that you love God, then you better love your brother. If, if you say that you love God, then you better hate sin. If you say that, so you see that over and over again in a book. Um, this morning, uh, John's going to deal with, with this issue of um, faith and truth. And so John's going to kind of basically emphasize the idea of the facts of Christianity. Because again, to a Gnostic, they said, look, these two worlds don't interact. And John said, oh, no, 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 the facts say something much, much different. And so he addresses this issue in John by, by talking about this idea of testifying or witnessing. It's said, actually mentioned nine times um, in John here. But let's read the passage, and then we'll go back and, and walk through it verse by verse. So here's what he says. This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ did not come by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who testifies, because it is the Spirit, because the Spirit is true. For there are three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. And I don't know what's going on with my screen today. Um, and all three are in agreement. We accept human testimony, but God's testimony is greater because it is the testimony of God which he has given about his Son. 
Whoever believes in the Son of God accepts his testimony. Whoever does not believe in God has made him out to be a liar because they have not believed the testimony God has given about his Son. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things unto you that believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. All right? So that's the passage. Let's walk through it here. Um, John starts out by saying this. This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Did not come by water only. So we have to figure out what this whole water, blood, spirit thing is. All right? Um, Let's understand that in the Bible, one of the themes that you see over and over again is this idea of a threefold testimony. All right? Um, Over and over again in the Old Testament and the New Testament, you see this idea of three witnesses. Um, And it becomes important because um, the idea is that you can get like two people to give, but, but when you ask, ask for three, um, as the Old Testament said, a threefold, a threefold cord is not easily broken. And so the idea is that often when you see something, and, and, and at the, even in Scripture, God wanted, um, for instance, in accusations against an elder, he wants three, not just two. So, so there's this idea of this testimony of three that comes up over and over again. And that's what you have here. You have here John saying, all right, let's talk about this idea of Jesus being God. He said, because really, he said, there, is, there are three that testify that make that very, very clear. Water, blood, and spirit. Now, this passage gives people, has a lot of interpretations to it, so I'm going to throw them out there and, and, and walk through it with you for a second. But um, first of all, he says this, it's the idea that he did not come by water only. A lot of people say what he's saying here is he was not just physically born. I'm talking about natural birth and, and the idea of water only. But he says, but by water, blood, and spirit. There are a couple of interpretations to what this is. I'll walk you through them and, and tell you why I like the one I like. Um, some people say, we know what the spirit is, so that's the easy one. Okay, The spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, that's the easy one. It's the water and blood thing that gets everybody messed up. So what does he mean? When he says, this testifies that Jesus is the Son of God, he says, the water and the blood. Some people say that's a reference to Jesus on the cross when the the Roman soldier comes up and punctures his side and out comes forth blood and water, um, is what the Scripture says. This passage says water and blood. So first of all, it reverses it. Second thing, the, the reason I have a problem with that interpretation of this thing is that really doesn't explain it to me. How does that testify that Jesus is the Son of God? Water, blood, coming out when he's pierced? I mean, if I was hanging on a cross and you did that to me, I'd, water and blood would come out too. You know, the heart's enlarged at that point because of everything he's done. So that doesn't explain it to me, okay? The other idea, another idea is that water is baptism, blood is communion. And they say, you know, there are two, there are two main ordinances of the church, um, Baptism and communion. So what he's saying is it's, it's, it's the baptism and communion um, is what's talked about here. God testifies through it, through baptism, through communion, and through the Holy Spirit. But the problem I have with that is that doesn't help me understand how that confirms that Jesus is the Son of God. Um, so I, I, I'm, not, that's, I'm not a favorite of that. I'm not a favorite in that one. Um, although that one actually goes back quite a ways. It goes all the way back to um, Augustine, actually. Um, the one that I like is this one, and here's what it says, and here, here's the concept. 
it refers to water as baptism. So it's saying one of the things that confirms that Jesus is Christ is the baptism of Christ. We'll talk about that in a second. And the blood is talking about the crucifixion. He's talking about the, bloodless, the, the bloody death that Jesus suffers. Now, this will help you a little bit. Remember I've told you that a lot of times uh, the Gnostics is, it was a big teaching. There was a guy at this time called um, Serenthus, and Serenthus was a Gnostic, and here's what he taught. He didn't, again, Gnostics did not believe that Jesus was God, but they knew that Jesus was special, and that he did miracles, and he did unique things. So what Serenthus taught was this. He taught that Jesus was born a physical man, just like us. But at his baptism, the Spirit of God descended upon him and empowered him to do great and incredible things. And then, at his death, the Spirit of God left him. So it would be no different than God empowering Samson, so to speak, um, when Samson did those incredible things. But then the Spirit of God leaves him, and so when he dies on the cross, he dies on the cross just a mere man. That's what Serenthus taught. That was the way Serenthus was able to say, God and heaven don't interact. He, in essence, is saying, look, God acts the same way to Jesus that he did to Samson or the prophets of the Old Testament or stuff. He just empowered them to do something great, and then he moved on. I think that's what John's talking about. I think what John is trying to say here, I think he's addressing that a little bit. He said, these three testify that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he gives three things, water, blood, and spirit. If I interpret those to be water, his baptism, blood, the cross, and then the coming of the Holy Spirit upon our life, that makes sense to me. Because all those things confirm that Jesus Christ is who he said he was. First of all, the water is baptism. What happened at the baptism of Jesus Christ? Remember what happens? The Spirit of God, a voice from heaven saying what? This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. It's the start of Jesus' earthly ministry. But, um, you know, I'm covering a lot of material. I don't have a lot of time to do it. But um, walk with me through this because I can't. I got to go down this rabbit trail, all right, so we understand this thing. Um, at the, bab- the baptism of Jesus Christ is very significant in the Bible, all right? Uh, because here's what happens. Baptism was not new. If you were a Gentile and you wanted to become a Jew, you would be baptized into the Jewish faith. You'd do some stuff, and that the, and he would be baptized into the Jewish faith. So it was not uncommon for a Gentile to be baptized to become a Jew. But what happens is John the Baptist, not John who wrote First John, John the Baptist, comes onto the scene and preaches a message of repentance. And he preaches the idea that you need to repent, you need to change your ways, you need to follow God. Not follow religion, not follow the system, but follow God. Follow Jesus Christ. And so what happens is John's preaching this to Jews and Gentiles. And people are accepting his message. And so one of the things that they're saying is, we want to be identified with your message. We want to be identified with you. And so John starts baptizing people. And that's why he was called John the Baptist, because he baptized John, John starts baptizing people, and so Jews and Gentiles now are being baptized, identifying themselves with John's message of repentance. And so this is happening, and in that scenario, 
Jesus Christ at the Jordan River, they're all, John's baptizing people. People are, he's preaching, people are getting saved. He's baptizing them. They're being identified with his message and his teaching and everything else. And then Jesus comes. And John is like, whoa, 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 whoa. This is the guy I'm talking about. Behold, the Lamb of God takes away the sin of the world. This is the guy. And when Jesus comes to John, what does he say? What's, what's Jesus' uh, question or ask, what does he ask John? I want to be baptized. And what does John say? Whoa, 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 whoa. I, what do you mean you, me baptize you? You don't get it. No, I know who you are. You're the one that we're talking about here. You're the one. No, 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 no. You baptize me. And Jesus goes, no. Why? Now, Jesus didn't get baptized because he was, he was repenting of his sin. He didn't sin. But Jesus is getting baptized because he wants to identify with the message of John and the people of God. So Jesus convinces John. He says, no, 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 baptize me. And so Jesus then, John takes Jesus and baptizes him. And what happens? All of a sudden, heaven opens up. Now look, I don't know if you could, you've thought about this for a minute, okay? But let me, let me put this in perspective for you. Jesus is God. For 30 years, he's wrapped himself in human flesh. For 30 years, heaven has been silent since his birth. No voice from heaven, no angels shouting out glory to God in the highest on our peace, goodwill. For 30 years, heaven has been silent. But when Jesus identifies with the people of God, heaven can no longer be quiet. And God has to step into humanity again and go, whoa, back up the train. This is huge. This is important. This makes me happy. Because he's identified with people. This makes me excited. In this, I am pleased. Look, when we talk about baptism, folks, call it, cut it any way you want. It is incredibly pleasing to an almighty God. It is not salvation. It is simply a a person who says, I have been saved, and I want to make sure everyone knows I identify with this group of people. And when it happens, heaven cannot be quiet anymore. You see, one other instance where where God speaks from heaven in the life of Jesus, that's the Mount Transfiguration. Um, I think that's what he's saying. He's saying, Heaven confirms that Jesus is Christ in the water, in this baptism thing. I think the other time is, and we'll talk about this more in the coming weeks, is the cross. Where Jesus has suffered, and Jesus is dying on the cross, and Jesus gives his life for us. And notice what happens when Jesus does. The world goes black for three hours. The temple curtain is torn from top to bottom no more does anybody have a limited access to god it's now open to anybody the tombs come open why because heaven screams if you will it's done this is what it was all about and then it's going to be confirmed with an empty tomb.
So I think what John is arguing here is you want to argue and testify? The facts say that Jesus Christ is God. The fact of God speaking at his, at his baptism, the fact of heaven speaking at the cross when the blood was shed and the atonement was made, and then the spirit that comes later, which testifies, which is in your heart. I think John's saying, look, you want proof that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? You want, you, you want the fact? Here they are. Here are the facts. The water makes that testimony. The blood of Christ makes that testimony. And the Spirit of God makes that testimony. Jesus Christ is who he says he is. Now that's important. Because look at what he's going to argue next. Now, he keeps going. He says, for there are three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and the blood, and these three are in agreement. All right. Um, oh, man. Okay, we've got to talk about this because I don't want you to think that I'm skipping over any passages of Scripture. All right? I'm going to give you a three-hour Bible course in five minutes. So here we go. Okay, hang on with this one. This is a fairly controversial verse. I have it up here in the NIV, all right? Let me show it to you in the King James. Um, flip, go to that next slide, guys. Uh, if you read it in the NIV, here's what, it, here's what it says. This is verses 7 and 8 together. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood, the three are in agreement. That's what the NIV says. If you read it in the King James, is what it says. There are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. These three are one, and there are three that bear witness in the earth, the Spirit, and the water, and the blood. These three agree in one. Um, oh, that's okay. I added verse 6. So you have verses 7 and 8. Notice the difference. Verse 8 in the King James adds the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit. Okay? So the question is, okay, why does one Bible say one thing? One Bible says the other thing. All right? Um, so let me give you a really quick Bible deal. Our English Bible came from Greek text. The original text was Greek. We don't have any of the Greek copies. We have copies of the Greek. Okay? When you're translating it in English, you go to Greek versions. And um, there are two realms of thought. One Greek group of texts are what we call Byzantine texts. Um, those texts came from uh, Rome. They came from Israel area. They came from that, that region. Those texts are not super, super, super old. They're old, but they're not super old. And when I say super old, I'm saying we're getting to like 300 A.D. We're getting really close to the time of, of the writing of the New Testament. Um, so we have that group of texts, what we call the Byzantine text. The other group of texts are what we call the Alexandrian texts. They are old. They're the oldest ones we got. Um, they are um, go, dating back 300, 400 A.D., really close to the time of Christ, that kind of thing. But here's the problem. They're from Alexandria. They're from the Egypt area. And because of Egypt and all the pagan things, so when you get into the Bible, which one people like better, it comes down to which do you like. Is age more important or is location more important? The King James Bible is based on the Byzantine texts. Okay? It's called the Texas Receptus. It was based on the, the, those kinds of texts. So not as old, but closer to the Bible thing. The... Um, NIV, the newer translations that you see today, they're based on Alexandrian manuscripts. Okay? Um, so they, they come out of that form of Greek deals. Now, some of you remember a number of years ago with the, the um, discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls. Okay? The Dead Sea Scrolls was so significant because here's why. This is a debate going back and back and forth. Who's better? Who's more accurate? Da, 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 da. When the Dead Sea Scrolls came out, they found all of these older manuscripts. And the, the beauty of it was, when they compared this thing, 
All of the differences could fit on one eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper. And no major doctrines were ever addressed. So there were all little bitty issues. This is one of these issues. Verse 8 is in that group of texts, in some of that group of texts. Verse 8 is not in these texts. So the issue is, okay, so that becomes the big issue, all right? So the issue, now here's what I would say about it, okay? If you want to corner me and back corner me and da-da-da-da-da, verse 8, as it's in the King James, I, I would have a really hard time arguing with you that when John actually wrote it with his hand, that's what he wrote, truthfully. But you know what? It don't matter. Um, and here's why it doesn't matter. Because a lot of people look at it and go, well, yeah, but this proves the Trinity. Look, look the Trinity's proved a hundred other places in the Bible. I don't, need to, I don't need to add verse 8 to go, oh, it's the Trinity. By the same token, if you're going to make an argument for the Trinity, don't make that your main verse. There's too much controversy over that verse. But you can say it this way. The, Jesus is God is confirmed by the water, the Spirit, and the blood. If you want to argue it from the Alexandrian manuscript. Or you can say Jesus is God because of the water, the Spirit, and the blood, and the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit. It's not wrong. Either one. It makes no difference. Everybody see what I'm saying? Okay. And the only reason I say it is because sometimes you get into arguments with critics and stuff like that. It, you know, they get into this kind of silly stuff. All right? And then, and here's the other thing. And maybe it's a little sadistic on my part, but have you ever been with somebody who tries to intimidate you with their knowledge of the Bible? Ever been around those kind of people? Okay. This is a great thing to know. Because next time you get around those people, here's what you do. You look at them and go, well, let me ask you something. What do you believe about the Johannine comma in 1 John 5 and verse 8? Because I tend to favor the Alexandrian manuscripts over the Byzantine. What do you think? And that's all you got to know, and they will shut up because they'll have no clue what you're doing unless they're like a pastor kind of thing, all right? Um, so if you really want to blow their mind, just ask them what they believe about the Johannine. It's called the Johannine comma in 1 John 5 and verse 8, all right? And you can do that, and you can shut them up, and then you don't have to listen to, to you know, them spout off their pride. So anyway, uh, moving on, all right? Go back to my, my, real, uh, my real passage there, guys. Okay, notice what he says. And then he says, these three are in agreement. We accept human testimony, but the testimony of God is greater because the testimony God has given is about his son. Here's what he says. Think about it for a minute. I, I don't know how you get ready in the morning. Here's my routine. First thing I do is I turn on TV and see what the weather says. Okay, so I want to know what the weather is going to be like today because I'm getting ready to get up and get dressed. So I want to know what the weather is. And then, here's what I do. I look outside. See how close he was. Okay? And then I get online and my homepage pops up with all of the weather data over here on what the temperature is, what it's supposed to be, dee-dee-dee-dee. So by the time I get ready to decide what I'm going to wear for the day, my Weather forecast for the day has been determined by the testimony of three, okay, if you will, all right? Now, what would happen if I just ignored that altogether and I went, you know what? They say it's going to snow. It looks like snow. And the weather channel says that snow's expected, but I'm going to wear flip-flops and shorts. You know, um, yeah. 
It's like, you know what? You can ignore the testimony, but you know what? I mean, most of the time they get close or pretty close. They're not that far off. Okay? That's what John's saying. He's saying, look, you know what? You'll trust the weatherman every day. The testimony of God, of the water, the spirit, and blood, is so much more powerful. How can you ignore that? I mean, you'll take the testimony of a couple of people on something and then ignore the testimony of God that makes no sense. And so he argues here that the testimony of God is so much greater, and then he goes on to even say this. Whoever believes in the Son of God accepts his testimony. So if you put your faith and trust in Christ and what he said about Jesus being God, then you know what? Then you accept his testimony. But if you don't believe God, you made him out to be a liar. You basically said God lied at the baptism. God lied at the cross. God lied in sending his spirit. God didn't know what he was doing. He really wasn't God. And John says, well, you don't want to go there. You don't want to go there. And then he goes on to say this. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life. Now listen, in our culture, this is, the, this is my new, this is the thing you'll hear me ride the rest of the year. So I, this is my new thing that I'm on, that I'm just going to keep riding, so get used to it. Get comfortable in the saddle, because we're going to keep going here all year long. Listen, you and I think eternal life regarding time. The Bible talks about eternal life that was one small part of eternal life. Eternal life was not just in quantity, but in quality. It was, think of it this way. He who has the Son, he has given to us life full, rich, purposeful, meaningful, abundant, packed, the absolute best way to have Life as he originally intended life to be. When you have the Son, that's the kind of life you have. Not just a ticket that says, okay, when I die, I get to go to glory. Yeah, that's part of it. But that is such a small part of it. There is so much more involved in that kind of, in, in eternal life. And when you have the Son, you have a life that is full and rich and powerful in quantity as well as quality. Um, um, one, Christ once said this way, I am come not that you just have life, but that you have life abundantly full, rich. You don't, uh, okay, and this is, the, this is the thing. Christians, we get this attitude. How many times do you hear it? Oh, it's Monday. It's Monday morning, and i got to go to work. Really? Christ died on the cross, so that could be your attitude tomorrow? Really? Really? Because i got news for you. We go to the hospital, and I can, I can show you hundreds of people who will switch with you in any moment. We can walk to a nursing home, and there are people that will be in line to take your place if you'll take theirs. Why? Because, see, it's our outlook. But when you take this approach that I have the Son, therefore I have life as God intended it, it's not, oh, no, it's Monday. It's, it's Monday. And I got out of bed on my own. 
and I brushed my own teeth, and I put my clothes on by myself, and I got to drive a car, and it started, and it got me there. And I got to give a job where I actually get to do something where people at the end of the day are going to give me money for doing that. And you know what? There are crabby people all around me. And I get to just be obnoxious by looking at them and going, isn't it wonderful? It's Monday. And they look at me like, you're off of another planet. What in the world is wrong with you? And you get an opportunity to prove to them that you have the Son and that you have life eternal, abundant, rich, and full. And when you walk into work tomorrow and go, oh, it's Monday, I can't wait till Friday, thank God it's going to be Friday, TGIF, yeah, that's what I'm living for, yeah. And they're sitting back going, man, what do you got? Because I want some of that. No. And we are so blessed. And we have so much. And we have, we have been given so much. And God says, look, you got the sun, you've got life eternal, abundant, rich, full, everything else. Why are you acting like this is the worst thing in the world? Because it's Monday. Am I making, are you getting this? This is what Jesus is saying. This is what John's saying. He says, look, you got the sun, you got it all. You're a child of the king. You're, you're, you're seated with Christ in the heavenlies. You're placed. You're forgiven. You're, you've given a future. You've given a hope. You've given a peace. Whatever comes your way today, you have a peace and a confidence and assurance that God's not in heaven going, oop, that took me by surprise. Didn't see that one coming. I have a confidence that my life, my day, my, my, everything that happens today is in the hands of God. And I got to play this game a little bit yesterday. When I got to the airport, and, I, and the light, actually, the day, be, the day before was the first time I took a real look at my tickets. And I realized that from the time my plane landed in St. Louis to the time the next one took off was a half hour. And I'm going, that's a tad closer than I'm comfortable with. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I can book when I have to book. But I mean, you know, it's one of those things where I'm going, you know, it's a little more than I'm comfortable. But you know what? It was like, okay, God, you know, if you want me to spend six hours in the airport this afternoon, that's, that's okay. This stays in your hand. You know, yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, I've seen that. I, I've seen God where, and, and I, I just have to say, look, folks, why? See, I got the sun. I've got life eternal, rich, full. That's what John's saying. And he goes on to say this. Whoever doesn't have the Son of God, you don't have it. You're going to rub shoulders all week with people who don't have it. Well, they went to church this morning. They're good people. They're nice, sweet people. But they're trusting in the fact that they went to church or that they gave the church some money or that they, they have a certificate that says they were a member of a church or, 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 or they have a baptismal thing that says they were baptized or, or, or they have a thing that says um, that, you know, um, the, the, their parents were a member of the church, so they're okay. 
Or they're, they're actually in a church that teaches you can never know, you can only hope. And when you die, it's a big maybe. You think they can have a life that's full and abundant? Because I've visited those people when they're in the hospital and there's a possibility that they're going to be dead in the next 24 hours. And let me tell you something. That you don't see hope, you see hopelessness. You don't see confidence, you see fear. You don't see faith, you see worry. And I've visited people that know they have the Son, and the attitude is night and day different. The attitude is, I just wish the Lord would call me home. I'm done here. He's done here. I'm ready to go. I don't know why he keeps hanging me. I'm still hanging around. Don't feel bad for me. Why? They have life eternal. And they know that they have life eternal. That's what John says. These are written so you can know it. Not hope, not pray, not think, not worry. not So you can know. And notice he goes on to say this. I write these things to believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know you have eternal life. Look, God wants you to know. And it's, it's, it's really incredibly simple. Knowing means you're putting your faith and trust in the Son. So here's the takeaway this morning. It's really simple. First of all, do you know? Here's what it comes down to. It comes down to the simple idea of if you died today, you're standing in front of Almighty God, and God says, give me one reason I'll let you into my kingdom. You know that the answer you give is what will get you in. You know. And if that answer is anything other than you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, it's going to be, I'm sorry, wrong answer. Because Christ was explicit. I am the only way, the only truth, the only life. No one comes to the Father but by me. The world will teach you there are many ways to God. The Bible says there's one. The world will say, as long as you're sincere, that's all that matters. The Bible says, no. The road to hell is paved with people with great intentions and lots of sincerity. Good people. That's why Christ said, the road is narrow. And few are on it. Because few are willing to say, I'm going to put my faith and trust in Christ alone. John says, look, you got the Son, you got life. You don't have the Son, you don't have life. Can't make it any clearer than that. You want to ignore the testimony of God? Go ahead. You do so at your own peril. Because God testified clearly. First takeaway is, I hope you know. If you don't, love to share it with you. Whoever you came with would love to share it with you. Whoever you see sitting around you would love to share it with you. Second thing is this. You and I are going to rub shoulders this week with people who don't know. And just like Laura said, you know, this is like the this is the ancillary thing to your thing this morning. Andrew didn't know it, but she was watching. And you don't know it, but those people that don't know, they're watching.
to watch it. And it's not very appealing when we don't walk into their world and show them life eternal, abundant, incredible. So we have a challenge in front of us to faithfully carry the gospel in our lives all week. And that's what I want to challenge. Those of you who are believers, I want to challenge you with that. And be careful tomorrow. Because you know what? It's Monday. It's Monday. It's a day that you have to make a difference. So let God use you. I close with this. John, his prayer and his guide for us is this. He wants us to move the Christian from doubt to certainty. He gives us the assurance that we can live this day living life to its fullest. And we can rest our heads tonight on a pillow knowing that if we were absent from the body, we would be present with the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, guide, direct, help us. God, it's easy for us to get caught up in the world and the system and the attitudes of the world towards a day. Or it's easy for us to watch the news and get discouraged and depressed and kind of overwhelmed with everything that's happening. But Lord, as believers, we have the Son. We have a different way to live life. We have, a diff- we have the Spirit of God within us. We don't have to look at it the way everybody else does. So help us to change that. Help us to show a, a world that uh, we do have a different kind of life than they do. And Lord, may we be willing to share that. And for those who may not have put their faith and trust in you, Lord, they sit here this morning without that kind of assurance. Lord, would you help them to realize that is not how you want them to live. And you have provided a way that they don't have to live that way. So Lord, help us. Use us. Help us to be a light and a testimony this week that people may see Christ in us. And we'll give you the honor and glory and the praise. These things we ask in your name. Amen.